This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best of your sports talk. For Monday, April the 29th, I'm your host, D.A., and we begin with family matters. Justin Lane was a star cornerback in Cleveland growing up. He ended up as a four-star recruit at Michigan State. Growing up in Cleveland, he and his family, his dad, big-time Cleveland Browns fans, and the hope was that Justin Lane would be drafted by the Browns. He was not. He was drafted by their rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers, in the third round over the weekend. And so, the family of the Lanes now has to transition out of being Browns fans into the rival Steelers. However, how difficult is that transition and just how burned does Papa Lane feel? Well, I'm glad you asked because he, impromptu, called into the Ken Carmen show on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. It, now hold on, is he on hold? Put him on hold because I, it uh, it doesn't say he's on hold there. We got to make sure he's there. Oh God, this would be a bad time for the screen to drop. All, All right, right hello, who's this? <laughs> this is DeAndre. What's up? <laughs> Are you kidding really me? You? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I'm hurting right now, man. But it is what it is. Wait, so so you are now you are his father? Yes. You are Justin Lane's dad. Yes. This you, is, is facts. And you've been a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan? Die hard. Oh. Like yeah. you've been going to know. games. I, I, I want to die pretty soft. <laughs> hey, die hard. Everything Browns. Eat, sleep, the Browns. Until your son goes to the Steelers. All right, did you think, <laughs> did you think that the Browns were going to take your son? Did you have a good feeling about it? So two nights before the draft, they took him out to dinner. You know, made him feel good about his chances of being picked. You know, and hey, they, they slept on him. So they here we are. Now hold, now hold. He he had brown socks on, mm-hmm. so he was gonna. So he the cameras were there, and he was gonna be taken by the Browns, and he was gonna be wearing his brown socks. Is that correct? Right. And then he took them off, and he threw them in the trash immediately. Now what would have happened? Now your son was drafted eighty third overall. What would have happened when the the Browns ended up trading up to 46 and taking Greedy Williams? What would have happened right. if he was taken at 40? What would you have done? It would have been different. I mean, I understand. I get that, but that didn't happen. They they got up and got their guy, which I respect, but we have to have a divorce at this point. <laughs> <laughs> now, you did you really take all your Brown stuff and throw it away, sir? Man, you don't understand how, how, how I am. I was, excuse me. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. I woke my daughter up the next morning. You know, she's seven. She don't understand really what's going on. I had my Steelers shirt on. She was like, good morning, Daddy. And she was like, 
what do you have on? <laughs> Just like that. So this is serious, man. Oh, my God. How long did it? I saw this video. It's a very good job, by the way. The logo looks great. I, I will say this. Artistically, aesthetically, I hate the Steelers, but it is a nice bathroom, sir. How long did it take you to paint this bathroom? Um, what? Saturday and Sunday. Just finished it. Uh, my guy, uh, Fred Harden, logo. Okay. And he knocked it out. He knocked out the logo. So, so uh, now you took all your stuff. Did you, in fact, do you have it in a box? You're not going to keep your brown stuff? Yeah, no, I, I got to get rid of it. Oh, DeAndre, so. why? What Now, now, hold, now I, I'm swearing to you. I mm-hmm. hope that he has a long, fruitful career. I would not say mm-hmm. that about your son. I, serious, I hope he does. But what were to happen if your son gets traded by the Pittsburgh Steelers somewhere else? Are you just never a Browns fan again, or, or are you going to come back? Well, here's the thing. If you, if you tell if your girlfriend cheated on you, <laughs> would you take her back? My girlfriend cheated on me, man. Hold on, but your your girlfriend your thing. girlfriend didn't cheat on you. You were never dating in the first place, DeAndre. Yeah, we were. We got another cornerback, so it is what it is. You are I'm, now. I'm starting to think we're being worked into a shoot. This is really DeAndre. This is really DeAndre Lane. You are his father. Oh, feel the pain. And you've been a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan? Die hard. Oh. So now we have video and pictures that is personalized. Brown's bathroom is now a personalized Steelers bathroom. This guy, I think, has a new career quickly overturning bathrooms and other personalized places in your home, your office, your basement, your man den, whatever it is. As long as you need a quick change in loyalty, quick change in the team that you root for. Hey, if you need the quick change, DeAndre Lane has your back. The biggest story that came out of the NFL draft, perhaps, was where the New York Giants took their quarterback, Daniel Jones. The Duke QB was expected to perhaps be a first-round pick, but maybe not until late first round. Certainly not top 10. And Dave Gettleman, the GM of the Giants, nabbed Jones at number six overall. How incredible is that? I mean, this is a team that just last year bypassed all of these great quarterbacks because they went with Saquon Barkley, a running back, at number two. So how to figure that this year they go out and they reach for a Duke QB that nobody thought was going to go in the top 15 at number six. Here's Jason LaConfora. NFL insider for CBS on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore and the Big Bad Morning Show saying, I know how. The Giants just misread the board. They can come out and say they knew two teams were taking that kid. Well, <laughs> I, I don't believe that to be true. I haven't talked to anybody in the league who believes that, that that's true. Um, and, and part of finding value and, and part of maximizing the draft process is having a read on what's going on around you. This was not a skilled player draft. It was abundantly obvious, right? Two wide receivers, both at the tail end, one running back at the tail end, um, only three quarterbacks. It, it was what it was, man. It was 13 defensive uh, linemen. You know, it was the inevitable half dozen or more offensive linemen just because that's how it goes. Um, that was the bread and butter of this draft. I don't know who Dave Gettleman truly thinks was taking that kid in the top six. I don't think he's. I mean, I, what are you? What What are you seeing? 
And Jason, that's one of those things that had to do that and walk off of a Josh Allen or whoever. Now, look, I kill him like everybody else. If Daniel Jones is a quarterback, who cares? But the problem is when you go Barkley over Darnold, and now you're basically going Daniel Jones over Sam Darnold, and you're you're going Daniel Jones over Haskins, and you've you've made this bed for yourself. there's not going to be a lot of people out there, you know, looking for a Dave Gettleman redemption tour. You you better get this right. Yeah, and on top of that, Jason here with Jason Locking for uh, Radio dot com and Sports Insider. On top of that, and we have nowhere proven that Gettleman is right or wrong because the GMs that stood between those two picks aren't going to line up and tell us exactly what they were thinking. So he can just throw something out there like that, and we can speculate that we don't believe him because none of us do, but we can't prove it. No, but I think you look, you size up the draft, you size up which teams did what. I mean, I, I, I just don't buy it. I had not heard that. I mean, the four. I mean, it was, you didn't have to be Inspector Gadget to figure out the four teams that liked those four quarterbacks the most, and they all got their guy. And a lot of them, you know, several of them were able to wait and do so. Elway even a little longer than I thought he might be able to wait. Um, there was a lot of trade talk, a lot of teams talking about moving up, but it was not teams with a quarterback need. I mean, whatever, man. (laughs) If you like the kid that much, just take him at six and have the conviction. I think what also undermines Dave Gettleman is talking out of both sides of your mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody wanted this kid. He's the one. We love him. Oh, and he might sit for three years behind a washed-up Eli. Like, bro, get your messaging straight. (laughs) Figure out why you drafted the kid. And then sell that to the media and your fan base, but good luck. It's just hard to figure. I mean, if Daniel Jones ends up being a franchise quarterback, and some have compared him to a Matt Ryan type, if he becomes Matt Ryan and he holds down the job for 12 years and he goes to the playoffs and perhaps a Super Bowl and they win with him, then who cares where they drafted him? Number six won't really matter. But saying that two teams were ready to jump on Daniel Jones is just over-validation for Dave Gettleman and a front office that clearly is insecure about everybody questioning why the heck they did what they did. Let's hear for the quarterback himself. Jones joined WFAN in New York's Mike Francesa, and everybody's talking about Daniel Jones and his connection to David Cutcliffe, who formerly coached Daniel Jones' predecessor, Eli Manning. What did you take from your training with Cutcliffe? What what have you learned about quarterbacking as far as moving ahead from Cutcliffe? Uh, I think responsibility is the you know the first thing I think uh, you know think about when I think about how Coach Cut coaches quarterbacks. I think you know on the field, understanding the the offense, understanding uh, what needs to be done as an offense to move the ball, and then you know responsibility off the field to be a leader, to be uh, you know the best teammate, the best practice player. Uh, you possibly can be. So, um, you know, I think in that sense that, you know, uh, Eli, Peyton uh, were trained that way in college, and, and, uh, you know, I think I was too. So hopefully that helps me, uh, you know, make the transition to the NFL. Give me a little scouting report, a little self-scouting report. What's the what what's the great strengths that you see in, in yourself as a player? What, what do you bring to the table right now? You know, as a quarterback, I think – you know, accuracy is something that uh, you know is maybe the most important thing, and I, think I agree. I have that. I think I agree. I think uh, you know, being accurate with the football, putting it exactly where 
you know, I want to, so people can, can run after the catch. Uh, you know, I think that's a strength of mine, but, um, you know, also I think decision-making the ability to process information. I've been, uh, you know, lucky to, to work with coach cut and, you know, coach Roper here at Duke. And I think they've prepared me well in that sense to process information, to make decisions quickly on the field and get the ball out. So, um, you know, I think those are two of my strengths and, um, you know, I certainly have a whole lot of room for improvement, I think, and, and I'm looking forward to doing that. I saw you play great in that second half of that Temple game. You played really, uh, really well in that game. Uh, are you? Would you call yourself mobile, or would you say, would you say you are mobile? Yeah, I think I am. Uh, you know, I think I have the, the athleticism to extend plays, uh, move around the pocket, to um, do stuff in the run game if I need to. Um, so. Yeah, I, I'd see that as a strength of mine as well. What would you say is the thing you got to work on the most? Uh, you know, I think I think I have a, a whole lot of room for improvement. Um, you know, as a player, I don't think I'm anywhere close to where I'll be, um, you know, eventually. So I'm, I'm looking forward to learning. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, Coach Cut says understanding when a play is over with or when to stop competing, when to make that decision to, to throw the ball away, I think I could be – uh, quicker with that, and, and you know, I'll, I'll continue to work on it. We're talking with Daniel Johns, the uh, newest giant, uh, one of the giant first rounders, and obviously uh, their future quarterback, whether it's this year or not. How do you feel about that sitting behind the quarterback with a resume like Eli Manning? I mean, what, what are your expectations challenging him, going in and trying to challenge him for the job this year, waiting patiently? How do you look at it as you go to start this year? Or what should I – and then tell me what you've been told about that from, from your head coach, if anything, already. First and foremost, it's a tremendous opportunity for a young quarterback uh, coming into the league to have the opportunity to watch Eli and, uh, you know, how, how he carries himself, what he, what he does day in and day out to – um, you know, to be the player he is, obviously he's a, he's a hall of famer. He's a player who's had a whole lot of success in the league for, for, uh, you know, a really long time. So there's a, there's a reason he has. So I think, uh, you know, just that opportunity for me is, is, uh, you know, is a tremendous one and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I think it's, it's certainly my job to, uh, you know, to, to, uh, do what I can to learn as much as I can from him. And, uh, you know, his job is to, to win football games and, and to, uh, win football games for the team. I certainly look forward to, you know, helping in any way I can and, um, you know, all the while improving myself and, and competing as hard as I can every day in practice. So there's a big difference between Eli and Jones. And while both players quarterbacked kind of fringe Power 5 conference teams, Power 5 teams that really didn't have much football success – there's a big difference. You see, when Eli was at Ole Miss, Ole Miss had years of being an afterthought. Years, really, since his dad, Archie Manning, played there. And he helped lead them to some of the most successful seasons, including postseason bowl games. When you look at Daniel Jones, yeah, Duke has not had a lot of football success before him, but they also didn't have a lot of success with him. And so just kind of assuming, well, he'll be the Eli Manning type is assuming a lot. And let's also remember that Eli Manning, in those two Super Bowls, was specifically very helped by amazing defensive line play, which right now the Giants simply don't have. One of the guys that the Giants should have been looking at eyeing was Josh Rosen, who became expendable by the Arizona Cardinals once they drafted his successor, Kyler Murray, number one overall. He ends up getting traded to the Miami Dolphins for a late second-round draft pick and a fifth-rounder next year. 
And one thing that has scarred Josh Rosen's reputation to this point in time has been the idea that he's uncoachable or a bad teammate or arrogant or all about himself. And now you've got former teammates of the Cardinals giving him some of the nicest compliments ever, including one of the classiest guys, Larry Fitzgerald, saying that he's got great character. Here's the Joe Rose Show with Zach Krantz on WQAM in Miami. Did we have Josh Rosen pegged wrong all along? Larry Fitzgerald says, I think it's I mean, a testament. His teammates went to bat for him. Like, how yeah. many more people need to go to bat for this guy? I'm very fortunate to call him a friend that came from Larry Fitzgerald. David John said he's going to be one of the best when it's all said and done. It's pretty good from your uh, running back and your running back receivers, two veteran guys on that team. They obviously didn't have to say that, and they could have trashed him on the way out, too, if the guy was Just not said anything. Or just not said anything, which in some cases... is just as bad as saying something bad. Look at guys with Ryan Tannehill. Mm -hmm. Most guys just took the high road and for defensively just didn't exactly support him. It was pretty clear. Uh, Someone texted, I'd rather have a cocky, kick-ass, chip-on-my-shoulder competitor than a sappy, whiny, I love you, even though you fired me, baby, look. I think that second part was about to I just wish the, you know, and I know they're not going to be, but the reporters should be held accountable. Like, if they say stuff like that, they should have to back it up with something. Something legitimate. He's he's going to say my sources. sources. People tell me. like, And then you have the guy who does the game, so you have other reporters that are saying that it's not true. Like, you should be held accountable if you make a statement like that because a lot of people, myself included, believe that it's very personal. Okay, so I, I just... I don't know what he was like at UCLA. There was a lot of stuff out there. He's a little different at UCLA, but obviously it wasn't that wasn't the case at Arizona last year. Didn't hear much out of him. Only thing, last thing you heard, he's got a chip on his shoulder because he was he was the last guy taken to that whole group, or second mm. now Lamar, second to last guy, but another early group, yes, in, in the first round, and and uh, he felt he was disrespected. But a lot of people like that. They're hoping he's got a little chip on his shoulder. I hope he walks in like Dan Marino. I love. I would have loved nice. to have seen how everybody was talking about Dan Marino today in uh, 2019 if Marino came in. With that attitude, yeah, I'm sure. He was ready to come in and play, man. I'm ready to turn everyone, all, all the 26 other teams that passed on me. I'm always, I always get a kick out of when Danny, like they, they show all these things and, and I see Danny going, oh, man, you know, it all worked out. It was probably like. That's not how you felt. Mm-mm. That's not Mm-mm. a. You feel like that now is one of the greatest passing quarterbacks of all time and Hall of Famer. I didn't hear that back then you when should, you were like, oh, hell no, everybody's paying for this. You should bring up Tony Eason and Ken O'Brien and Todd Blackledge. Those are all the guys picked Let me ahead tell of you them. something. When I Dan, mean, Jim Kelly and John Elway were right up there, but when Dan Marino went back and lit up his hometown. That's right. That's right. Pittsburgh, that's right. When he just said if it was up to him, he'd have put 80 on him that day, making him feel even better. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Man, I think it's obvious that Rosen was never as bad as people made him out to be coming out of UCLA a year ago. And all of that was just totally overblown. And when he finally got around guys that he needed to work with and play with and get coached by, he was great. Amidst a train wreck that was last year and the Arizona Cardinals, 
The whole thing was totally overblown, and now we're seeing the real Josh Rosen come out. Doesn't mean there's a guarantee that he's going to be great in Miami, but just that the idea that he was super immature and he couldn't handle the situation, that was either false or completely overblown. In the NBA playoffs, Game 1 Celtics-Bucks goes to the Celtics in impressive fashion. In fact, the Boston Celtics, who looked lost all regular season, go to Milwaukee and smash the Bucks in game number one. And so what does this mean for the rest of the series? What does this mean for Milwaukee, the best record in all of the NBA? Here's Chuck and Winkler on 105.7 The Fan in Milwaukee. Bucks loyalists already hitting the panic button. The Celtics took them out of certain things that they wanted to do. And again, that comes back to now... The Bucks have to go back to the drawing board and make adjustments and see how they get Giannis shots. And you know what? Once these guys start making some shots, and, and Boston was making everything too. Boston, Horford was hitting shots. Uh, Kyrie as he always does against Milwaukee. Kyrie was great, as he always is. So, um, yeah, the best player on the court yesterday was Kyrie. Second best was Horford. And uh, right there, that's, I mean, a 22-point home loss in a playoff game. Mm. Now, if they had battled... And they lost. Still, it stings, but to really pretty much never been in this one. You made one nice little run in the second quarter, that 15-0 run, and you thought, okay, they're going to get back into this game. Just never did. All right. Again, it's not that they lost. It's it's more how they lost that's concerning. Uh, they do play again tomorrow night. That seems like it's never going to get here. Uh, that weight is already killing me. Uh, then they don't play again until Friday, and then they've got to take one of those two in Boston, assuming that you do win tomorrow night to get this thing at least back to even by game five. I mean, that's the road you're going to have to take. So hopefully the Bucks come out there. Giannis said we're going to look at the video. We're going to we're going to try to figure out what to do. Uh, and I, I don't know what you figure out what to do because Giannis's game has essentially been neutralized by the way the Celtics are defending him. And when he kicks it out... You know, you got to have guys take those shots and make those shots. Lopez and Miritich yesterday, guys that, you know, what they made a couple. But Lopez and Miritich both, there were plenty of times where a defender would then come on them last second, and they'd step up and then take a two instead of sliding over and, and take a three. They haven't done stuff like that all year. It's just like the Celtics. I don't know if it's the jersey. I don't know if it's the familiarity. It's like everything that the Bucks were good at for 82 games, at least 60 of them, they weren't good at anymore. They've beaten this team. They beat this team last year in games. They beat this team in the regular season. They shouldn't be as afraid of them as it really looked like they were. And this is one of the problems as I sort of try to evaluate myself, Chuck, as a broadcaster. This is one of the reasons why I like only ever have any sort of success here. I can't ever do a national show. I'll never go I'll never be able to work in another market. It's because I can't I take these things too personally. Like deep down I know Brad Stevens outcoached the hell out of Mike Budenholzer, but you're not gonna get me to admit that. Cause I then I'm just then I'm just accepting that this narrative that everyone's been pushing for the last week about how Boston's gonna come in here and punch them in the face is true. And I can't accept that because I'm so Loyal to my beloved Bucks, and I do take it so personally. Yeah, but you got to be a little bit objective and, and look at how how the Bucks lost this game, and really, yeah. And and Bud uh, Stevens Stevens had a, a game plan figured out. Yeah, and and his guys carried it out too. 
in Horford, man, he was uh, he was great on both ends of the court. I absolutely hate when people say game twos are must win or games that are not elimination games are must wins. But man, Milwaukee game two really does feel like a must win for the Bucks. If you lose both at home against the Celtics as the one seed, thinking you're going to climb back into the series going to Boston and winning both, it's not going to happen. All of your mojo would have been stolen away, and the Celtics did a great job stealing the mojo already of a great team like the Bucks. And what Al Horford did against Giannis Antetokounmpo and the way that that third quarter turned in favor of the Celtics was so impressive, it really makes you wonder if we have hit a different level, a different gear for the Celtics, and that this is the Boston team we'll see the rest of the postseason that perhaps can win an NBA championship. Out West, Golden State and Houston. Game one goes to the Warriors down three with a couple of seconds left. James Harden hoists up a game-winning three-point attempt, which falls away, but he claims he was fouled. No whistle on the call. And so does James Harden have a reason to be frustrated? He says he just wants a fair whistle. Is he legit? Does he have a legitimate gripe? Or is he just being annoying Here's Joe Lowe and Dibs on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. I wonder where they fall in all of this. This guy gets more favorable officiating than anyone in NBA history. He literally created a move where he's just traveling. Like, that's it. He travels, and they let that go. Anyone who gets near him when he throws the beard back, people get whistled. Like, you can go on Google or YouTube and just put in a search for these James Harden phantom calls. He gets them left and right. One game. One game, there are a few questionable calls. Clay should have been whistled, but fine. It's not, it's not, you're not going to get all of them. And he's immediately crying to the officials afterwards. Like, dude, you're right. This is why there's an unlikable factor right. there. Just take your medicine. Take your medicine. Knock down more shots. What did he finish with in that game? Uh, hard. Nine of 28, four of 16 from deep. You were at the strike 14 times. He was 13 of 14 from the line. The only guy who got there more was Durant, 12 of 15. What more do you want? You and the other star player both got to the line more than anybody else. How much more favorable treatment do you need in order for you to believe you're being officiated fairly? He has led the league in free throw attempts six of the last seven years. And when you are the league leader in free throw attempts as a guard, Jim, and I know this is a different NBA. It is. It's no longer throw it in the block and watch Carl Malone go to work and you know he's going to get to the line or hack a shack. We're going to put him on the line 25 times. This is a guard who's leading the league six of seven years, so he gets calls. Now, were there calls yesterday that he should have gotten? Absolutely. But because of what he did on the final sequence trying to draw that foul, it's like the boy who cries wolf. At some point, all of the the throwing your legs forward and throwing your beard back, referees are going to turn off to that stuff. You know what? Um, Clearly, you guys aren't listening to Mike D'Antoni. Uh, who said not only is James Harden the MVP, he should be the most improved player in the NBA. So quit your wine and you two. A little bit of bias there. Get on, on, get on D'Antoni's part. Get on Jimmy opinion. Harden. Big game Jimmy Harden. Hacksaw Jim. Hacksaw Jim. Get off his back. Get off his beard. Okay? And listen to Mike D'Antoni. That's my. That's what I have to say to you two. Yeah, that's your, that's your counterpoint. That's my counterpoint. You should be listening to one of the great head coaches in the game who who mucked the game up and turned the NBA into whatever it, it is the Rockets are playing. Nobody is capable of losing anymore. The Warriors and us included in that. Nobody can lose anymore. If you lose, you either just run out of the locker room because you don't want to face the media, or you've got excuses for days. 
excuses yep. for days. Like, jobbed. There was so much complaining in yesterday's game. And I'm talking on both sides, all players. Every time someone felt as if there may have been a grazing of skin against your forearm, they immediately were looking to the ref, palms up. What are you doing? What are you going to play the game? Just play. This is part of why your ratings are down. No one is interested in the number one storyline being officiating. And that's not to say the officials did a poor job. But if everyone is consistently complaining to the officials, nobody tunes in for that. That's got to be a message on behalf of the league to the players at some point this offseason. Stop crying. Stop crying. In the NFL, you'll see a guy talking to the official. The ref might, the coach might lose his mind, but it's on to the next play. You just keep it moving, right? There was the gripe, of course, with the Saints. But that's that. That's that. You move on. These guys are complaining every single trip up the court. Both sides. It's, it's, it's. It's tough to watch. You're just trying to watch two teams go at it. You do not need to scream at the official every single play. I mean, they're calling some stuff the slightest of bumps. It makes you think about the 80s and 90s like, those guys would eat you alive out there. Absolutely. They would eat you alive out there. Bay Area media falling on the side of James Harden is a whiny baby. Who would have thought? I'll tell you, James Harden kicking his leg out. Chris Paul throwing his hip out, or even a guy like Kevin Durant trying to draw contact when it didn't really interfere with the shot itself. I'm glad if those are not going to get called. And I think that last no call against Draymond Green on James Harden was the right no call because we don't need to see these great games devolve into deciding who goes to the NBA Finals based on whistles and what is a foul. That's the best in your sports talk for Monday. April the 29th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.